Welcome to this episode of Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Jenna Quinn, founder and owner of Perfecting Peds. We will hear about her journey as a pediatric pharmacist and entrepreneur focused on advancing the health of children by ensuring safe and effective drug use and optimal medication therapy outcomes. Welcome back to Disrupt. Uh, with all due respect to our other guests that we've had on the podcast, I might be most excited about today. And that's because we have a fellow pediatric pharmacist on the podcast with us today. So I am super excited to have Dr. Jenna Quinn with us. Uh, Jenna, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. And I'm very humbled that um, what you just said, really, it's been a privilege and pleasure as part of this journey to really network and get to know other fellow pediatric pharmacists. So I am very excited as well. Great. It is a small world. And so it is fun to make new connections. I agree. So I'd love to just start by giving you an opportunity to tell your journey. Um, tell us about your journey to becoming a pharmacist. Yeah. So I know everyone's very unique story. Um, so my grandfather was um, was a pharmacist, and he really is the the reason why I had the carriage, which we'll talk about to start my business. But he um, was such an inspiration. So I always traditionally growing up loved um, science and math, and um, he was actually a pharmacist for, I don't even know how long, 40 years plus at GlaxoSmithKline. Um, there he discovered and patented over 150 drugs. Wow. <laughs> and he has written um, organic chemistry books. He's written, um, I have them all, my little, my actually like the the hard copies in a, in a little um, library that I, that I keep and, and always reference to just for just for honestly inspiration, just looking at what he did. Um, he, I always, even though our personalities couldn't be more opposite, he was similar to my husband, who's a true introvert and I could talk to a wall. Um, <laughs> I still really, we, we always clicked. And so, um, it was, it was really watching him and his passion for um, pharmacy and then just my own love for math and science that I decided to become a pharmacist and just really try to emulate and do everything that my grandfather did, which was um, at the benefit of the patients and just doing amazing work. He's just, um, um, I was always in awe. So when he passed away uh, a year and a half ago, it was a, it was a, it was a hard one for me. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah. Uh, it's great to have people in our lives like that who not only invest in us, but also inspire us. So thanks for sharing that story. Um, where did you do your, uh, your pharmacy training and residency training? Yeah. So I went, I'm from New Jersey. So I did, um, and went to Rutgers. I did the six year program there. 
Um, graduated with my PharmD in 2012. And then in some ways, um, I'm like a little bit different than a lot of other pediatric trained pharmacists as far as residency. I only did one year. Um, I did it at Jefferson University in Philadelphia, and I just did general. Um, through that, two of the pediatric, the pediatric NICU pharmacists that were at Jefferson, um, I was one of the first to to do their elective, and I really got interested, and it actually correlated at the time with uh, mid-year. So when we went, I interviewed for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia for their, they were just rolling out the pediatric patient care role, which was kind of the in-between, um, the true clinical role with like a lot of research responsibilities and everything, and then a the, you know, your, your usual pharmacist that's in, in the pharmacy, um, actually like compounding, mixing the drugs and, and checking them and doing all the dispensing roles. So I, um, luckily got in there. There was, I, I practiced there for, for three years and rotated in between all their different, um, uh, floors, which was awesome because it diversified what I got to see. And then, Fast forward three years, I started, oddly enough, where I was a technician throughout school um, at Cooper University. It's a it's a children's hospital within an adult hospital, uh, so very different type of practice. Um, and I started their pediatric clinical pharmacist role there. Um, and then I practiced there, uh, and it grew quite, uh, grew a lot. I was the first um pharmacist on the floor, first pharmacist rounding consistently, verifying orders. And so we were able to grow by uh, three or four of us. And um, then then I recently, probably about six months ago, finally just jumped all in into my business perfecting peds. So that's a little bit of my my background. Um, but I've always floated all around between NICU, PICU, gen peds, um, and various uh, subspecialties within that. Yeah, that's a great segue into talking about perfecting peds. Before we go there, I just want to make a comment, and that's that um, there are so many pathways into pediatrics. I know that many of our students and others may think, well, you've got to do a PGY-1 and a PGY-2 in pediatrics, but the reality is there are a lot of opportunities for pharmacists to make a difference in the healthcare of kids, and it's not one size fits all. So um, there are many pathways to get there. Mine took a similar uh, pathway as well. So for our listeners interested in peds, you can get there a lot of different ways. So um, with yeah. that, yeah, that's great. So with that said, um, I'd love to now hear a little bit more about the story of perfecting peds. So when did you first get the itch to pursue this type of business idea? So honestly, um, a couple things. So I um, decided when my, so my, my little one, I have three little girls. Um, and so when my little one was a year, probably about 10 months, I realized that working full-time in the hospital, um, working full-time with no flexibility was not working for me personally. Like I loved pediatrics. I loved pharmacy, but I also wanted to be home with my daughter more. I realized I wasn't a stay-at-home mom, so part-time was great. Um, I got the best of both worlds. And so to do that financially, I, you know, I, I really didn't know what to do. So um, I actually just started to do getting to sales and do multi-level marketing. Um, and it sounds silly, but it actually developed a lot of the um, strong characteristics of my foundation for my entrepreneurial spirit. And I sold skincare for three years. 
Um, so I did that and actually got pretty hype in the company. It was nice. Me and I got all all free things. Me and my husband traveled a lot. But with that opportunity, I realized a couple of things that um, you can take you know, if you're passionate about anything, right, you can, you can take it and make it your own. And um, you don't always have to follow the rules. Um, I think as a pharmacist, we are so um, like school kind of gears us up and, and makes us believe that you can only do hospital, like there's three big ones, right, or four. So, you know, a fellowship, a residency in a hospital where you stay and practice in the hospital. And then you have, um, you know, your, your um, retail pharmacy, and you kind of feel like you just have to, you have to be bucketed in between, in one of those. And so, and also like, I, I didn't, I saw that there was such a need, uh, which we'll get into uh, for, for this type of work, but really what, the reason I got the entrepreneurial taste was through sales um, and doing that for three years. And then I realized, wow, like you, you don't have to, you can do things flexibly on your own time and still make a huge impact. And my true passion wasn't skincare. It was that I could, you know, be flexible and I did love the products, but then I realized I'm like, I love pediatric pharmacy. That's my passion. And if I can take my entrepreneurial spirit and apply it to that, um, that's the best of, best of both worlds. And so I realized like from years, I mean, this is dating back to like nine years that we would always have these kids that came in from surrounding, um, not necessarily hospital um, systems, but you know, long-term care, acute care rehab, medical daycare. So we had these these children of medical complexities that, when I would do a deep dive into their med review, I'd be I would always ask the question, "Who is looking at these meds?" Like, I always identified a. I, I don't want to, I want to stay politically correct, but, you know, room for medication management improvement, um, <laughs> trying to not say blatant medication errors, but they, there was always room for medication management. And then organically, because these were our frequent flyers um, and they were so complex, they were back and forth in the hospital. I started partnering with their parents and then the parents would contact me, you know, when they weren't at the hospital for pediatric related pharmacy questions. And then again, it was just nagging on me like, okay, who were they communicating with beforehand? Do they have, they don't have like this, not everybody has a clinical pediatric pharmacist at their disposal. So where are other parents going if, you know, they aren't going to their pediatrician? So long, long story uh, short is that I, when I looked at surrounding institutions and patients just in the community, regardless of where they are, long-term care, home health, um, medical daycares, just anyone of, of any sort of medical complexity that no pediatric trained pharmacist was reviewing their meds. And um, that really was, was the fuel to my fire as far as why I started my business, because quite frankly, there's a need. And as a pediatric pharmacist, we love our kids. And we want to keep them safe. And so um, that's that that need was and that void and that taste of entrepreneurship previously was what fueled my business. Yeah, that's a, a wonderful story. And it, just from my own experience, I've seen very similar stories daily um, when working in a pediatric hospital where you have parents and, of course, the children who just don't have someone from a medication perspective with the training to see the nuance 
that leads to often a, a decline in their health if they're not managed well. And so I love that you stepped in and and uh, you're looking to make a huge a dent in the need that's out there, which is amazing. So uh, I'd love to hear what what are some of the services that you're providing through Perfecting Peds? What does that model look like? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ones. Um, as I've noticed, um, so, you know, Justin, working in a hospital, you know, like, if you build a good rapport with the physicians, you almost have too much autonomy, right? Absolutely. So, um, they just start coming to you for any and everything. They don't even let you finish their sentence, your <laughs> sentence. And they're like, well, just change the method, whatever you think, just do it, everything. Um, so after practicing and gaining such great rapport with all my physicians, now flipping to the outpatient land, um, for example, in New Jersey, to change a pediatric script, I mean, the pharmacist doesn't even have the autonomy to do that, right? They have to, even if it's like changing a septonere concentration, they have to call the provider and get a new script. Um, and so this is super eye-opening to me, the the lack of, lack of autonomy. So um, my... I was kind of like in how how my various models are working was kind of just to get around the barriers to get the data we need to show that that we are needed. So there's 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 kind of two different buckets. There's a, a fee for well three. There's a fee for service. So what that is is I realize that um, there's these P, these pharmacists that are um, getting paid in various state, um, whether it's like behavioral health, long-term cares, medical days, um, acute rehab, that there's this, there's already a pharmacist, pharmacy, long-term pharmacy consultant pharmacists that are, are in these, in these um, institutions that are doing regulatory stuff. Um, regulatory meaning just they're checking uh, expiration dates, they're checking med dates. And when I started digging and asking physicians that worked in those uh, areas in the surrounding uh, tri-state, they're like, oh no, they're not clinical pharmacists. They just like come and do compliance stuff. And I'm like, wait, these pharmacists, this pharmacy company, I'm not even saying the pharmacists because whoever the founder was, you know, you, you, you set, you set the precedent for what's happening. But so the states make a pharmacist come in and not do anything clinical, but just check expiration dates and like make sure that the narcotics are accounted for. They're like, yeah. And my mind was blown. So I'm like, these people already have the money and resources going towards a pharmacist. And I'm not going to call out any company names because there's a lot of pretty big long-term care pharmacies out there. But and they're they have access to these charts and they have access and really access to the, the to the sickest children, and there's no clinical work being done. Hmm. And that was like oh my God, I was like sick to my stomach. So what I did was I went around to every area in New Jersey that I knew that these pharmacists were, or the the, the long-term cares were were catering to. And I just said, hey, you know, can I, can I jump in? You can pay me the same amount because as we'll get into, um, compensation for pharmacy is probably the biggest barrier. Um, and I said, just pay me whatever you're paying them and I will, provide these services. So I, I kind of narrowed it down 
and try to like encapsulate what my services are and what now I'm lucky to have seven, two technicians, an intern and, and seven pharmacists on my team. Um, but what, what this is, is we do a 13 step medication a uh, comprehensive med management review, and we have the steps written now, but you know, the basics, right? Drug, drug, making sure it's the right route, the right dose, the right frequency. Um, and then uh, we have our prior authorizations that we do because we found that that was something that was significantly delaying uh, patient care when, you know, the nurse from a pediatrician's office would call or even from a long-term care to do a prior off if it escalated to a peer-to-peer. Sometimes the physician wasn't available, so we took that um, off them, and that was obviously like an easy service uh, for us to provide to expedite that drug acquisition. Uh, we do pharmacogenomics, and Justin and I were talking but um prior to the show going live but we have we do it as a standard of care because all of our patients are medicaid and medicaid covers 100 percent of the the cost so just before we jumped on the show i was looking at two little guys and i'm so happy we waited to get the pgx report back because we wanted to start an antipsychotic risperidone and it was like a no-go with his with his genes um, so we we're, we're gonna you know you pivot and you you pick a new one, but those I mean PGX in general is just such a beautiful tool. Um, and then we also offer education to providers and caregivers, and then a compliance tool called Med Action Plan uh, to all parents like that are obviously like in the community, whether that's home care or just um, someone that's being serviced via medical daycare. So. Um, we provide all those services and, you know, as a business owner, I don't, I, I try not to ever, ever put a timestamp on what, how long it takes for my pharmacist to do this because um, specifically in the long-term care world, all the kids are due to trait vent dependent on 20 to 30 medications. And so I know to do a good job, that first consult is going to take about one to two hours at least. Um, so that's our fee for service model. And then we also have a private pay model. So what I realized was just from um, word of mouth. So I kind of took like a bunch of pilot patients to make sure there was a proof of concept, even though I knew there was, I, I just wanted to make sure. And I took a lot of them for free. Um, and I was organically doing that over the years anyway. So um, I then through just them sharing on Facebook, like, hey, we met this like unicorn of a pediatric pharmacist because not a lot of people know we're available, right? Um, they, I do a fee for service model, which I do an upfront, you know, hefty, not $200, which I hate charging patients, but um, there's no, there right now we're trying our best to get a hold of, you know, Medicaid. And I have two upcoming um, appointments with, you know, HMOs in the area to hopefully be able to to reimburse us and, and really pilot our patients within them. But, um, and then we do a subscription-based model that we we stay on call for the family and they can contact us when, when they need it, um, which has worked out great. And then, um, unfortunately, in the tri-state where, where a lot of us are licensed, it's PA, Delaware, New Jersey. Those are the two big models that we're using. Um, but then I started um, hooking up with the, a lead of the American Pharmacists Association, and we've now pinpoint and are launching in different states. The one that's the most that's going to be coming up uh, the fastest is going to be Minnesota, but we're also exploring Colorado, 
California, Washington. So some of, in those certain states, we have a little bit more leeway to bill. So we're getting strategic. So we get compensated for our services and then collect all this data our intervention data um, to then submit and show the insurance companies um, and other facilities like here, this is what a pediatric treatment pharmacist can do. Um, but in our first uh, 102 patients, we were able to have 1200 interventions. And now we're going back in, and putting an ROI on that um, because being business minded, my heart is always clinical. Like for me, I'm like, you know, look what we, we saved all these children from all these things. But as you get into the business world and, and get high up to the C-suite, they care about the numbers. So um, that's important too, as we really think about expanding, perfecting peds and making this really the standard of care for every medically complex child. Yeah. I, I love your vision there of making this the standard of care and the fact that this just isn't an, an income for you. It's it's a passion. It's something that no. you want to do on behalf of, of the patients. And the, the sheer fact that you're trying to gather the data to share and tell the story so that others can then see the value speaks to that. So I, I think that's something that a lot of our listeners can learn from you about. Yeah, no, I don't care. I mean, my husband's going to have a heart attack because I, <laughs> but I mean, and he does the finances, but it's such a good, dis I'm so dissociated from that because like, I know in my heart, you know, karma. And I know if I just keep going for the kids, eventually that income will come. And really what's important to me is making sure my staff's well taken care of, but also that, um, that the patients are taken care of. And if both of those things are happy, I'm happy or happening. I'm happy because really this is why you become a pharmacist. And, and that's why I really didn't flourish in school because I didn't have the big vision. I feel like you're just so stuck in the books and you're just heads down studying that like there wasn't, I didn't really appreciate as I was going, like the end goal is for this amazing person. And once you see what kind of clinical impact and just quality of care impact we can have for these patients, that's when I really started being like, oh my God, I love this. So uh, if you're discouraged in school and listening and, and just being like, I hate studying, I don't like this. I don't feel like, you know, I'm, I'm the best student in the world that doesn't correlate at all to, to real life. Yeah, that's great advice. So you'd mentioned you have multiple pharmacists and a couple of technicians, some interns working with you. So what does your team look like right now? Yeah, so we have, oh my God, my intern who is a Rutgers grad or a Rutgers uh, pharmacy student is amazing. So she really helps me from anything to, you know, any, anything. I mean, I've asked her to put together, um, help me put together, like make things like even down to, can you make this pretty and make it branded with perfecting peach? She does marketing stuff for me but then she also does a lot of research she she really is driving a lot of um, our data collection which is amazing and I have her do my monthly newsletters and then she also comes up with social media content with references attached that I and she's I mean she's just fabulous um she's my my big secret and then I have um seven pharmacists uh on board and they're all contractors so it's like comes across as more PRN, which allows flexibility. So when I started this, like my vision, yes, was of course, you know, for the children, but then also as I, I kind of sat down and thought about it, it's, you know, what is this, or what has this allowed me to do? And that's really be present in my kid's life and have a great work-life balance. So if I, you know, need to take off an hour or two to take my daughter to an appointment, I can. And so my goal is 
to build this flexibility um, while maintaining what you love. Um, really want to scale this so that, you know, as many pediatric pharmacists that want in can have that too, because my daughter, um, Justin, you'll appreciate this because you're a Pete's pharmacist, has had in four four months, uh, no, less than four months, in three months had four ear infections, so resistant to Amox, Augment, and uh, Ceftonir. She had to go get IM, Ceftriaxone shots. Um, she then got ear tubes in and um, had an ear infection, used a and it went away, then had a sinus infection, now has a, had one, a subsequent ear infection that was growing MRSA, which is why it wasn't the ciprofloxacin's work drops weren't working, but I say that because it's been a lot of appointments back and forth and, and really quite frankly to think of what my life would have been like if I would have been able to manage this in a hospital setting where you're, you know, clocking in and clocking out sometimes late, right? And then you're on call too. Um, yes, I'm I'm working a tremendous, I don't, I'm putting in hard work and working crazy hours, but they're hours that I can uh, build around my family. And so I think, you know, there is I want to take what I've been able to feel in that flexibility, but also do what you love and expand that to as many peds pharmacists as possible too. Well, I, again, I appreciate this vision greatly. You're inspiring me on a lot of fronts. So thank you for yeah. that. So um, I, I want to turn and, and talk a little bit about um, some of the patients. Of course, we want to be uh, compliant with HIPAA and we will be, but yes. I, I know that you probably have many stories already of ways in which you've made a tremendous difference in the life of a child and their family. And being in pediatrics, I think one of the most rewarding things, aside from um, caring for the kids is the thankfulness that parents express to you. It, there's nothing that a parent is more grateful for than investment from another person in their child. So I'd love to know, do you have a story or two that stick out in your mind of where you've been able to make a tremendous difference for a family? Yeah, I mean, I think that first, so when I, I kind of had this vision for years, just like kind of brewing, and it took my grandfather's death for me to be like, like him on his deathbed to be like, you can do great things. So go out there and do them. And so I was like, all right, like, you know, I'm going to do this. And it's like crappy that sometimes that's what you need to, to propel you to really make big moves. But, um, that was, I was like, okay, like I've been sitting on this. Um, and I actually hadn't even shared it with them. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Um, so what essentially, um, I had this family that I had been working with and I was like, Hey, do you, you know, I always, the mom would always come in and out. And I, and I asked her, I'm like, you know, he, she was really having trouble with his behaviors. Um, he was being straight cast frequently. I mean, he was like very medically complex at having high rates of seizures. And so like just doing a quick look at his meds, like there was tons of drug drug interactions. And the first thing I did was take off, the anticholinergic with the antipsychotic and now he's magically peeing by himself when he was needing a frequent street cast so mom was like that that first intervention mom was like oh my god this is amazing um and then he we did his pharmacogenomic test and he was on an inappropriate antipsychotic so then we rotated him over from olanzapine to risperidone and he was then um, much less aggressive. Um, he was having issues with his aggression with the home healthcare nurses, 
that dissipated. Um, and then he, he was on this insanely um, unnecessary, unnecessarily complicated regimen. So we, I worked with mom to decrease the, the, or I should say, increase the frequency, but but really take his regimen and and still without altering the pharmacokinetics dynamics, um, make it a more reasonable schedule. So mom was only giving meds three times a day. Um, they had it so, you know, he was waking up at night to get, be given meds and all those things and really are something so easy to us, um, you know, making a simpler regimen, identifying drug-drug interactions, um, using PGX tests to help buy therapy. But all the, I mean, he was urinating by himself. His behaviors were completely, um, completely different. He was like a different kid and he was much calmer. And so, um, and then mom's quality of life improved because she wasn't, you know, she was able to, to do things in between the med administrations instead of like literally thinking five to six times a day, oh my God, I have to give him his meds. So he was my first one and she was, she, she was so, um, like appreciative, but also when I told her of my vision, like she was like, oh my God, you have to do it. Like she was, she was just like my hype man. She's like, you know, you, this is, there's such a need, like Jenna, you have to do this. So sharing it with her and hearing what her response was just like, was what I, I think I needed at the time to be like, oh, to get the carriage to do it because this is just one patient. Right. And so, um, knowing that it affected them so much on a personal level and that she was like my hype man. I was like, all right, I can do this. Um, then recently I took another patient again, 32 meds. Um, I mean, abundance of medical complexity. Um, the, the traditional story of, you know, they have their, their one doctor, their primary care doctor, but the primary care doctor will not touch anything the subspecialist is prescribing, so much so that they're actually not in tune with what the other meds are. Um, so I worked with this patient um, and I actually have <laughs> posted her uh, de-identified on, on LinkedIn, obviously, the other day, but I try to share these stories on LinkedIn because I think pharmacists in general aren't really good salespeople, right? That's not what we're, what we're um, trained to do. But I think sometimes we really aren't good at showing our worth. So when I have a patient that I really find impactful as far as, you know, what I was able to do, I, I always share it. So um, what I do basically with what I did with this patient was the first thing she was on, she was about to start erythromycin and it was interacting with her, her uh, chemo med. Um, I'm not sure if I can, I can never pronounce all these, but um, that would have put her at a huge risk of, of, of bleeding as well as um, other toxicities from that. So the first thing was like, oh, no, 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 we're not giving the erythromycin. Um, this patient for the past couple of months had had nausea and vomiting. Um, and I was like, let's just look at a lot of times patients are, are need these uh, motility agents like erythromycin and Redlan because, you know, they're, I find that their GI regimen isn't maximized or optimized. So I was like, let's look at, you know, the PPI they're already on. So at a subtherapeutic dose, let's make that therapeutic, um, you know, getting the Miralax. But what I found was mom was actually mixing. Nobody had told her to give it in like four to eight ounces of like water or, or fluid and give it right away. Um, because 
she had been mixing it in the feeds and who knows like the stability on that, right? We don't really have data for that. So once she started giving the Miralax the right way, um, and then we upped it from once a day to twice a day, which was perfectly acceptable for her age. And then um, we added on Senna. Um, and with those changes, she, after months of, of vomiting and um, having horrible constipation with those changes we avoided this is just one of the many changes i made but we avoided uh, the drug the lethal drug drug interaction with her oncology meds that was not identified by the gi doc but also were able just to optimize more safely um a regimen and for the first time in mom said three or four months she was pooping by herself and she did not have any emesis so just those stories alone, and this that's just like a small, that just like scratches the surface of things that, you know, as pharmacists we can do. Um, and, you know, it's not even necessarily that I want us to be recognized as providers, but I, I want my ultimate goal is to have insurance companies partner up with us and give these patients to us. And then we we work with the families and, and make them um, their quality of life better. But I think, you know, physicians, um, you know, OTPT, all those, all those various professions have been recognized for, for their value. And I think that we're wildly undervalued. So um, I really, my push is to have us at the forefront to show what we can do and then have those uncomfortable conversations of, okay, well now we need to be compensated because we, we really are making huge changes and quality of life changes for these pediatric patients. Yeah, I agree. And and, and your stories help us to really create that narrative for advocacy that we need to. So keep up the good work. That's great. Uh, I'd love to know, what are some of the most important factors that have been a part of your success as an entrepreneur and pharmacist? And I, I know it's not all success, right? There's a lot of difficulty and we could talk about that too, but what's helped you to yeah. be successful so far? I think just honestly, um, mindset, like I said, I learned in, um, well, two things. I learned that mindset's so important um, in sales, but also just for, um, I have had a long, so actually probably the worst in pharmacy school, but longstanding history of anxiety, OCD, and panic attacks. And so I learned at a really young age, at like 13 or 14, that a lot of this can be managed with mindset mindfulness, deep breathing, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. So luckily I had amazing parents that got me super involved in that. And so I'd always had been, you know, I would always been very in tune with if I was going down like a dark, dark avenue or, you know, my thoughts weren't, weren't positive that I could kind of re reset them and take a time out. Um, and I think that's something that pharmacy school, I think they're getting better at, but I think in general, it's such a huge where our mindset is, is so impactful on what we can do, not only for ourselves for and for others. And especially as a mother, I want to make sure that, you know, I keep that in check so that I can be the best mother possible to, to my daughters. And so um, my mindset and just constantly working on that. So, you know, eating right, working out, and then also doing mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, those are all really things that keep me on track as an entrepreneur. Um, and then my, my daughters, right. So I have, I always thought I'd have three girls or three boys and I have three girls. Um, <laughs> so I'm quite the tomboy. So having three girls was, <laughs> was quite the shock. Um, and so really, I think 
you know, God gave me those three girls because um, he wanted me to show them what's possible um, being a woman and not that we can do it all because we can't. And so I think that's part of my entrepreneurial journey is, you know, I have an amazing nanny that helps me. I have a really supportive husband that does a lot of um cleaning and um he does he does all the groceries he does all the laundry and my girls see that and so i think really setting the stage for them to be like you can do you know you can do big things and you can you can have your dreams and and never be scared to ask other people for help because i never want to set the precedent that you have to do it all and so i think all those things collaboratively have have helped help me in my entrepreneurial journey. Um, you know, on the days, especially when it's hard, I just look at my girls, um, and think like, well, you know, I want to show them what's, what's possible. And if they have big dreams to help, you know, children one day, um, I, I want to make sure I, I show by example. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, that, uh, mindset. It just is so important for us and, and everyone that's listening, pay attention. Mindset matters, right? Oh, yes. Not taught in school, but thank I always thank God that I, I had so much struggles with anxiety and panic attacks because it really shed light on my need to it's a continuous uh, it's a continuous work in progress, right? So if I if I don't do the things that really help me, which is working out and and meditating um, and taking my anxiety meds then, then I can't, can't function to my, to my max capacity and be the best person I can. And so, um, the stress that you feel in pharmacy school and as a pharmacist, I just think that that mindset and that, uh, wellness is even more, um, important than for, you know, for anybody else. Yeah, that's great. So I, I'd love to transition back to um, the flip side of what keeps you going and instead ask about some of the challenges. You mentioned reimbursement is one of the biggest ones, right? What are some yeah. of those other challenges that you faced with getting um, perfecting peds off the ground and, and how are you overcoming those? Yeah, so I think it's learning how to pivot um, because this is, it, it has not been easy. So like, okay, an example of a long-term care. Um, I'm realizing that New Jersey advocacy for um, pharmacists is pretty crappy. There's no nicer word for it. And so once I flipped to the community side and I was in uh, various facilities and, and um, in these collaborative practices with physicians. So the first was, we'll start from the beginning. The One of the barriers was that some of these pediatricians have never worked with a pediatric pharmacist. So they don't know the, the capabilities. And there had been such a bad precedent set by the prior pharmacist that we were just there to count pills, narcotics, and to check expirations. And I quickly outsourced that to pharmacy technicians because they are more than capable of doing that piece of it. And that freed us up a lot on the clinical end. Um, but what I found was that, you know, first was gaining the appropriate access. Like the people at the facility saw us as the equivalent to an LPN in our education. LPNs are amazing. This is not saying anything bad, but we have a different um, schooling than them. And so the first was really proving our value because we were in places where a pediatric pharmacist has never been. And so really setting the stage of what, what interventions are we, are we giving? So, you know, providing those interventions 
interventions. And we did that for months until they eventually signed the collaborative practice agreement. And then once we had that collaborative practice agreement showing, okay, well, we can change these meds and we can change the route and the dose and we can monitor for these ADRs we can put in labs. And then they were, they got comfortable with that. And then it was, okay, now this wean plan, what do you think about this wean plan? Or, um, you know, so it, it, it built onto itself with where our autonomy grew, but that was a huge barrier was just getting these collaborative practices in place so we could practice at the top of our license because it's never been done before. And when talking to the people in New Jersey <clears throat> that were the head of, you know, the New Jersey Pharmacists Association, they said nobody's practicing in CPAs because it's something we're not comfortable in. So actually drafting up a CPA was really hard. I actually had to pull in resources from pharmacists in Utah. Um, and then in addition, you need a CPA license in New Jersey where you don't in other states. You have to have at least a year of residency or a board cert. Luckily, I have both. And then on top of it, you then need to consent each individual parent or caregiver. And a lot of these children for um, social reasons have been rendered to the state. And so for months, I not a person in DIFUS was comfortable consenting. And so it had to escalate to the top of the um, to the to state legislative to, to then eventually get all these patients consented for the collaborative practice. So that was just one of the many barriers that have been. And then we thought we could build Medicaid for our services here to find once we did some digging that pharmacists aren't even in the bill. Um, there's no mention of a pharmacist like that were even incident to. So even if we have a collaborative practice in place, there nobody to date in the state of New Jersey has ever asked, hey, can pharmacists bill for our services, PT, OT, you know, physicians, the list is so long, dietary can. And because I don't know if no pharmacist has ever want to, or we just haven't done enough advocating for ourselves. but that was like, oh, wait, we can't bill. So it was working these 120 some kids. This is just one of the 500 children we have, like, you know, a small piece of the, the children we have, and then realizing that the prior company was only given, only asked for 15 hours a month to work on these hundred and some medically complex kids on 20 or 30 meds. And that wasn't going to compensate us nearly for the over 120, 160 hours a month that we were working. And so um, as a business owner, I was like, oh my God. So I started um, doing, starting again, getting creative. I'm launching parenting courses to help parents um, give them the most medical, reliable information there is. I'm doing subscription-based plans so that parents can have us on call. Um, I'm doing uh, courses for other clinical pharmacists who want to do the same thing that we're doing to, to get other revenue to drive into this so that we can I can staff it and that we can, again, we have the data now to really have the, the manpower to publish and look into the data. Um, and then as we get um, more and more meetings with the higher beings of, you know, Medicaid and various insurances, that way we can show our value. So it has been barrier after barrier after barrier. Um, and then realizing, you know, where can we build? So that's why we're going into other states, which is not the answer, right? Because there's plenty of children in the area that need our help. So it's been pivoting and pivoting and pivoting with the ultimate end goal of like, 
this is going to be a standard of care. I don't care how I have to get there. It might be some like really cockamamie way, but I'm going <laughs> to get there. So it has not been easy. Yeah, we'll keep persisting. I, th- I think those efforts are going to pay off. So that <laughs> leads me you. to, I- I'd love to love to hear, where would you love to see Perfecting Peds in five years? My goal is 10 years to be in all 50 states. And my vision in five years is, is to have these contracts with HMOs, insurance plans, because right when I thought, like, you know, when I first started, I was like, you know, smaller vision, just New Jersey, right? Because there's plenty of patients. And then what I realized is that, um, and I actually reached out to him that, that this guy out in um, Florida, he has, um, it's called Aspen RX. Have you ever heard of it, Justin? I have, yeah. Okay. So I reached out to their CEO, David Medinoff, and was just like, Will you take a take a meeting with me? Like I'm truly inspired what you're doing. I want to emulate your model and just in the fact that, you know, the insurance companies partner them with pharmacists and they provide MTM. Now my model would definitely be different. Um, but it was more to like pick his brain on how he got these contracts. And he was so gracious and met with me. Um, but it really opened my eyes to like, oh, wow, this can be done. It's being done. And what I noticed is that the geriatric and the adult population are way farther ahead of us um, as far as their access to pharmacists just by their end, right? Like the, we're pediatric pharmacists. There's not a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's enough of us to make a huge difference. But um but compared to adult and geriatric trained, we're smaller subpopulation. But um, I would ultimately love for the insurance company because they have access to all the patient information say, okay, this patient has two or more chronic disease states. This patient has five or more meds. Here, here's this amazing pediatric pharmacist from Perfecting Peds. They're going to give you all of our services. They're going to work with your providers and the family to optimize your care plan. And we're going to follow you basically at a cadence of their complexity. So if it's a really complex kid, you know, maybe we check in monthly in the beginning. If it's someone who doesn't really, who we don't foresee a lot of issues with, then maybe every three months or every six months. And so really building in what I've kind of done with my other patients based off of their complexity is the cadence that we we follow them. And so really just having that resource that um, we know so many parents need. And, and obviously my long-term vision would be, will be accessible as an on-call service to parents because, I mean, even yesterday someone messaged me and was like, my kid, um, you know, it won't take just st- stupid things, augment and what do you recommend? You know, so, or, you know, when you're, I always think about my 11 month old who's needed every med under the sun, like she's even needed Benadryl. How would you dose that in the middle of the night? So really, um, making us more accessible and, um, I'm hoping in five years we have those contracts set up with insurance and then in 10, we're able to, to scale to every state. Well, let's pray that vision becomes a reality. I love where you're going with it. So as we wind <laughs> down, uh, just a, a, a couple more questions here. Yeah. What advice would you have for students or currently practicing pharmacists who have an idea, but they don't know where to start? Um, how do they embrace innovation entrepreneurship? I think just partnering up like the first step um, even in sales was I always had a, and I didn't care what the price was. I think having a business coach is so important. So, um, I had somebody, um, before when I was doing uh, direct sales and she was fabulous. She taught me a ton of mindset. Um, and then she actually was the one who really looked at me and said, when I was thinking about quitting the hospital, 
um, just to, for a change that I needed. And she actually pulled out of me my business idea um, because I really hadn't shared it with anybody. Um, I'd always just had it, you know, built it in, in deep, um, knew I wanted to do it, but I just kind of dismissed myself as being able to actually pull it off. And then um, when I first started too, I reached out to Janie Wilkie, who's big in um, just advocacy, pharmacy, pharmacy coaching, pharmacy business, and said at that time she wasn't even taking one-on-one, um, and I don't even know if she is now, but taking one-on-one clients. And I just said to her, I'm like, I, I need to learn from you. Um, I'll pay you, obviously, but I, I really need to learn, you know, how you've built this, how you've made such a positive impact in the PGX world. I want to take what you've done and I want to do it in PEDS. And so um, I mean, we partner up on projects now. So she's become, you know, really a reason for my success. Um, and so, you know, partnering up and pairing with somebody that's 20 steps ahead of you, asking for that mentorship is really the first step because they'll be able to to help you, you know, like I didn't know how to set up a business contract or buy an LLC or, you know, what legal things need to go into it. Or, you know, I, I suck at research. I never did research because I was always in like more in the verifying orders and, and I would do like protocols and stuff, but I had a colleague that was affiliated with the university who I would help her with research, but I was never running it. And so, um, you know, really partnering with someone that's, where you want to be and just asking that sometimes intimidating question, Hey, could I learn from you? However that looks like. That's great advice. And Jenna, I, I just want to finish by saying thank you so much for telling your story and inspiring uh, lots of people to do similar things. And, and as we end, uh, if listeners wanted to learn more about the great work you're doing at Perfecting Peds, what are some ways in which they can connect with you and the work you're doing? Yeah, so I'm really present on LinkedIn. Um, again, that's probably if you're active on any platform, just personally and professionally, that's an awesome platform to be active on. Um, you can follow us. We have our page, Perfecting Peds on LinkedIn. We also have my own personal page on Instagram, which is Perfecting Peds, um, which we're working on, thank God, with my students standardizing and just getting out um, content, reliable content as it regards to pediatrics daily. Um, and then it's Perfecting underscore Peds. And then my own personal Facebook page, Jenna Quinn, J E. N-A, Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N. And then also on Facebook, we have our Perfecting Peds page. Um, there's also the Perfecting Peds website. So literally just Google Perfecting Peds. It will come up. That shares all of our services um, that are available and also has a chat function if you if you want to get a hold of us. Many ways. Well, Jenna, thank you so much again for for coming on um, to the podcast. We're thankful for you telling your story and all the best as you continue uh, changing lives and all the kids that you get to touch. So good work. Thank you, Justin. It was a true pleasure. You have been listening to Disrupt, a podcast from the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe and share this podcast with others. Thanks for listening.